Thank you for that song. That was beautiful. I love that song. I I see all of that is true when I look back in my life. It's hard to see it when we look forward, but we can definitely profess, confess those things are true in our lives. We know God in that way. Do any of you have trouble with that uh, stanza, even when I can't see it, I know you are working, even when I can't feel it, I know you are working? Don't look at the words, just say it in your head. (laughs) Even when I can't see it, I know you are working. That is such a great introduction to the life of Joseph. Even when I can't see it, I know you are working. Even when I can't feel it, I know you are working. That's a perfect uh, introduction to this chapter as well. We're in chapter 40 today. And uh, I wanted to tell you that on Thursday I went to get my annual physical examination. You know, that's the big physical and it was supposed to be on Wednesday, but uh, they had to switch it to Thursday. I made the appointment January 22nd, a year ago. And uh, so January 22nd rolls around, but the day before they called, they said, I'm sorry, uh, we gotta change it to the 23rd because the appointment on the 22nd means it hasn't been a complete year and your, your insurance won't cover it. So, I don't know if that's just my company, but uh, you might want to check that out. So I had to have it on Thursday, you see. And when I saw the doctor, I said, well, I'd, <clears throat> I'd like to get a flu shot, and I'd also like to get a pneumovac shot, and then I'd also like to get a shingle shot. And <laughs> the doctor says, do we got any of that flu stuff left? No, no flu stuff. Well, they did the pneumovac, but they said, well, go to your, go to your pharmacist, and they'll take care of the, uh, the shingles and the flu shot. So I had the pneumovac. That's for pneumonia. You might have picked that up. So uh, it's a two-stage shot. See, these are immunizations. Are you familiar with that word? These are preventative measures to protect me, to defend me against shingles and the flu and pneumonia. See, But anyway, I had one shot on Thursday, and then I had the others on Friday, and I heard that the shingle shot, Shelly had a shingle shot not long ago. She's kind of bruised, painful, you know. So I said, so maybe you ought to put... Maybe I'll put that one in the other arm. Anyway, I got two shots, the pneumovac and the shingles in the, in the left shoulder and the flu shot in the right. And I just want to make a point about that. Wait a second. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I'll tell you, if you can spread it out, you ought to do that. The Word is an immunization. The Lord, what He's speaking to our hearts, not only the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are people who pray, I for one, who pray that God would move in our midst on Sunday morning, that He would speak through His Word, that He would touch our hearts. 
that he would divine our needs and give us his encouragement, his direction, his hope for the things that challenge us. And not only the things that we want him to attend to, but the things that he wants to attend to. Every Sunday is like an immunization against the things that get in the way of God in our lives, that make us just ordinary human beings and not the children of God or the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's important to be here every week. It's important, you know, to keep your appointments. And it is my prayer this morning because this particular message is an immunization that we really do need. And it's my prayer that what you learn from Joseph today and from chapter 40, it's uh, verses 1 through 23, but we're just going to start at verse 19 and read through verse 15 after I pray. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to our hearts. We pray that you might awaken us. alert us that we might sense or with our faculties of apprehension may we believe and accept your presence as your word tells us and that your spirit might move and that you would speak to our hearts and tell us the things that we yearn to hear from you the things we need to hear and the things you want us to hear, that we might be more intimate in our confidence and our faith in you and trust you for the things that we've brought on our hearts today that burden us, that get in the way, that take us away from our trust and dependence and hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor or grace in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge, put him over all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. Chapter 40, verse 1, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, who was Potiphar, in the prison where Joseph was confined. 
the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended or served them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams. There is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them or squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And there also, here also, I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. We'll stop there. The chapter goes on to have the baker, the chief baker, tell Joseph his dream. The interpretation of the chief baker's dream is not a happy interpretation. Whereas the chief chief cupbearer to Pharaoh, or the king, is that he's going to be released and return, so it is with the chief baker. But whereas the cupbearer will be returned to Pharaoh's service, As he envisioned, the chief baker will not. He will be put to death. His head will be removed and put upon a stake. That's how he is lifted up. 
In verse 23, the very last verse of the chapter, we are told that the chief cupbearer was serving in the presence of Pharaoh, and he forgot Joseph. He did not remember him. What I want us to appreciate here, and I tried to impress it upon us in the way I read chapter 40, is that Joseph really wants out of prison. Sometimes we might get the impression that, I mean, you know, he is elevated. He makes the best of his situation, right? He makes the best of it. We talked about that last week. But I don't want us to get, a, get the idea that prison is a cakewalk for Joseph. It's a very difficult service. These are not happy times for Joseph. In fact, when we get to verse 15, after he says, I want out of here, he goes on to, do, to say this. He says, and I'm going to put this in colloquial or contemporary language, and this is exactly what it would mean to us. He says, I was kidnapped. The Hebrew says, forcibly taken. Speak to Pharaoh about me. Get me out of here. I was kidnapped. And what I have done to get here, I did not deserve this. I did nothing wrong. I'm innocent. I'll bet you never kind of heard it or saw it that way. He really wants out. And you know what? That's important for us to know because we would too. In fact, in our lives, there are all kinds of situations where we want out. And we want it now. Tomorrow is too late. Another hour of this, I just don't think I can take it. God, where are you in the midst of my difficulties, in my bad times? And I want us to appreciate the fact that Joseph understands that and feels the same way. He's been betrayed twice by his brothers and by Potiphar's wife. When we get to the end of the chapter, he's been betrayed a third time by the officer of Pharaoh, the cupbearer of the king. When it takes too long, when another minute is too long, when we just don't feel like we can endure anymore, it really helps to have the big picture. This is the big picture that we have that Joseph doesn't. You see, Joseph, he doesn't have this big picture, but back there in chapter 37, he does have a big picture, and that is his dreams. And I want us to appreciate that. Joseph had a dream, and in the meantime, he's in prison. And he rises in Potiphar's house, but in resisting Potiphar's wife and being true to Potiphar, 
he gets framed. So he's been kidnapped by his brothers, framed by Potiphar's wife, and he's put in prison. And prison is not a happy place. This is not a cushy situation for rich people that, you know, petty crime kind of stuff. They're in shackles. That's the meaning of the word in verse 20 of chapter 39 where we started today. They're shackled. In fact, you didn't know this, but in Psalm chapter 105, Joseph is featured starting in verse 16 and in verse 18. It has a very graphic picture of his suffering in shackles. It says he is shackled both feet, hands, and neck. So even though he makes the best of it, it ain't a cakewalk. Sometime later, we read in these opening verses, then again, after they had been in custody for some time, each one of the two men had a dream. When two full years had passed, that's the way chapter 41 opens. And then we read the next words of the chapter. After two years, Pharaoh had a dream. We are told in chapter 41 that Joseph is 30 years of age. He had his dreams at age 17. It has been 13 years that he has been in the pit on his way to Egypt a slave to Potiphar, thrown back into the pit, risen to the top, is at the head of all of the prisoners, but still a prisoner. That has been his life since God gave him his dreams. But it helps to have dreams. You see, because Joseph has his dreams, and he knows that a day is going to come when his father, his brothers, are going to bow down. He doesn't fully understand that, as far as we know, but he knows that that is going to happen. Or he is told or allowed to put his faith in that, to believe in that, even though nothing in his experience <laughs> would say he's any closer to it. But the corollary, the compar comparable reality for you and me is Jesus Christ in our lives. That's our picture. It really is. When we're going through difficult times, we know. Listen, I, maybe it's been a couple of years. I don't know when I read it, but it has stuck with me. And I think about it quite often because when I'm in pain, it helps me. Two, three years ago, I read somewhere or heard someone say, if you know there will be an end to the pain, it will help you cope with it. Sometimes we don't think there's going to be an end to this. This is going to pass. I will get through this. If someone even tells you, you know what, this pain will end. It makes you feel a little bit better to know that there's a destination, a finishing line. It helps you cope. It helps us cope to know 
that we belong to Jesus Christ, he who died for us, demonstrating his love in the depths of his suffering to win for us a victory over the evil one and the powers of blackness and darkness and also a light unto us, as light as bright as day with his resurrection and victory over death. Now listen, if that ain't a hope, if that isn't something to say, you know what, your pain is great, but it isn't meaningless. There will be an end to it. There is a purpose for your life. You are not cast afloat on a raft in a sea where you are unknown, existing in a flood of meaninglessness. And that picture of Jesus makes everything better. It makes it possible to endure. It makes it possible to make the best of it. Just as Joseph did. And I believe that his dreams are comparable and for it are in agreement, so to speak, with our understanding of our relationship to Jesus. His relationship to the Lord for him are those dreams as he endures these difficult times. And we're going to see him really demonstrate faithfulness to God because that's what I want us to appreciate. I want us to dare to be faithful a day at a time. I want us to dare to be faithful to the Lord through bad timing, through God timing, and through right timing. Bad timing's just when everything's going wrong. When is there a, a bad, you know, whenever there's adversity, there's bad timing. But in the bad timing, there can be God timing, and that's what I want to talk to us about. God timing, when even though things are difficult, we're walking with, we're in fellowship, we're in communion with the Lord. And right timing. We have that big picture. We're, you know, we're, we're triumphant in the Lord, even in bad timing, but we know there's a right timing, and that's a part of the plan of God. God has a right time for you, and it helps us deal with the difficulties if we have a confidence in the right timing of God. So I want to say to you this morning, hang on, don't give up. Take the hardships a day at a time. Take the joys a moment at a time and let God do the rest. Because I believe, and I'm speaking from over 45 years of experience, the secret, you see what kinds of secrets I'm willing to betray to get these truths across to you and encourage you in your life. Um, coming back to my point, the secret to the Christian life is simple. Just don't give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never quit. If you can do that, you will see God moving. 
you will see God doing things in your life that will strengthen your faith. Through bad timing, we see this in verses 14 and 15. We see Joseph's adversity through the eyes of Joseph. This is a first. If you're reading the Bible from left to right, if you're reading Genesis from Genesis 1-1 and you get to this point, this is the first time you're really able to see something through the very eyes of Joseph. How vivid, how real to him is the betrayal and the framing at the hands of his brothers and then at Potiphar's wife. Do you think he feels this? He does. And we see that through his eyes. That's a remarkable thing at that moment. This is still very real to him. He's not just sailing through things, you know. He's not listening to some kind of He's not got earbuds in his ears, able to tune out the difficulties of his life. They're real to him. They're close to him. They're vivid, and they're on his mind. Boom. Don't forget me. Get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. I've been kidnapped. I've been framed. I'm innocent. I want you to understand how real this is for Joseph. And yet, even in the midst of bad timing, he doesn't make it worse. And there's a real pro tip there for you. When you're in the midst of difficulties, don't add. Don't multiply. Don't compound your problems by doing stupid things or saying stupid things or making stupid decisions. It only makes it worse. Be like Joseph. Do the right things. Say the right things. Marriages, friendships, relationships at work. Everything could be better if we could hold our tongues and not say some of the dumb things that we say at the wrong time or the bad time. Make the best of it. Don't make it worse. Listen, bad times are challenging, right? Adversity is challenging. But achievements, achievements are what we do with challenges, what we do with adversity. And we have an opportunity to make something of it not succumb to it. When I was a pastor in South San Francisco, I think of it a lot because I was 30 to 40. That's prime time, I think. Although, I must uh, amend that and say that in the Christian life, this is, all time is prime time for me. I feel like I am in my prime today. But back then, I thought age 30 to 40, That's the best time of life. And I'm stuck in South San Francisco with this little group of people trying to shepherd them, you know, trying to disciple them in a very difficult place. The economy was hard. Um, It was very uh, antithetical to the Christian life, the Christian faith. And uh, I was a pastor. I was also a husband to Shelley, and I was a father to two young children under 10. 
I was also a student in a PhD program. So my time was very, very busy, and I tried to use it quite well, but I often felt alone. That says nothing about Shelley's full support. Um, our marriage grew. We got closer, but there were challenges. But there were times, because of the gravity of the decisions that I had to make, sometimes in your life, the, the temperature goes up. The temperature goes up depending on the gravity of the decisions that you have to make because you realize that you have a dynamic role in the lives of others and the things that you say to them and the decisions that you make make an impact on them. And that weights your soul. It makes it harder. It makes it a burden that you carry. And here's the point I want to make. When you really take life seriously like that and you realize that you count, what you say in your own sphere of influence makes a difference, whether it's in your family, even if, it, if it's with your parents, God wants to use you, or if it's with your kids, God wants to use you in ways that don't just have to do with advice, but how we live our lives, how we influence one another, how we shape each other through example, through spirit, through hope. And when you have that kind of sense of who you are, you depend on God. And it was when I was in South San Francisco that I often found time with God. Time alone. Time to talk. Time to think. Sometimes on my knees. Only because of the sense of, I want to show you, Lord, I need you to talk to me. I need you to illumine me. I need you to give me some wisdom. I need you to give me some power. Whatever it is, I depend upon you. But I want to give you, if you will do that in your life from time to time, you will know God's strength and you'll know his wisdom and you will grow if you wait upon him and you expect him, expect him to help you, you'll see him. But I want to give you a tip in the process. Break down each day, each day. Sometimes the gravity of, the, of who you are in the various roles you play, the things that you carry around with you, reach out a month or beyond. And you try to carry a month on your shoulders right now. Don't do that. Break down your life into one-day segments. Look at that one day before the Lord and then take the most important thing first to the least important thing. And then be as faithful and grateful as you can. Say, I'm going to fulfill this task. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to meet this responsibility in your power, Lord. I'm going to be faithful to you. And go through all the things you can't. And what you don't finish today, you roll over tomorrow. And then on the next day, you say, I'm going to be faithful today. And you start again. 
And you do that each day of your life. That's how I live my life. And I'll tell you, it will really help you because being faithful to the Lord only can happen, this is very important, being faithful to the Lord can only happen now. It can't happen in the future. It can't happen in the past. In fact, when you're trying to live in your past, you're probably going to experience regret and guilt. When you're trying to live in your future, you're going to experience anxiety and you'll find yourself worrying because you can't control the future. It's too big and you don't know what to do with it. The only time the Lord can be the Lord of your life is right now, 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 now. Now we know that He's Lord He's Lord, that's true, that's, that's factual to us. But that has to be true, not just factually, it has to be true what we call existentially. I have to believe it. I have to do it. I have to make Him Lord. I have to exalt Him and enthrone Him in my life. And that can only take place in the present. In the present. In the present in the present, in the midst of your day, when you lean on Him, trust Him, and when you're going through bad times, you have that beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And you know, there are times that I actually visualize Jesus on the cross and in His resurrection power for me, because that expresses to me how meaningful is His love for me. And that creates hope and expectation. And it grounds me in the fact, and I know it will ground you in the fact, that God has your life in the palm of His hand. That He cares for you. And that's very, very important. James, remember, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, suffering builds endurance, endurance builds character, and character builds hope. That ability to wait expectantly upon the Lord, just like Joseph is here. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, when Moses, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they're right on the edge of entering the land. And so Moses says, look, we didn't waste our time out there. And he has four points he makes to the people at that point. He says, you were never lost. God was leading you. Secondly, he says, our years were not wasted. God was humbling us in the sense of creating a heart of dependence upon him, which flows right into his third point. He says, he never supplied or satisfied us with more, only did he supply us on a daily basis that we might depend on him in a daily way all in the purpose of making us a people for himself. When I was a kid, my grand, grandmother and grandfather lived just north of Modesto where I was born and raised. And uh, 15 miles up 99 to the north is Ripon. I just think it would be great to live in Ripon. 
But that's where my grandparents lived. It was a very small town. It's grown quite a bit now, but it was, uh, it was under a thousand people. And my grandfather owned the reliable garage where he worked on cars on Main Street. And when I went there, I didn't have any friends, although over time, because my mom would drive us there every Saturday in the 1955 Chevy, and we would spend the day there while she would teach piano to all of the piano students that she had in Ripon. And then I would occupy myself playing in the yard, riding my bike, going down to visit Grandpa. Sometimes I would find a friend. A lot of times I was bored. So Grandma had lots of games, Parcheesi, Cootie, you know. She had puzzles, and I loved to put puzzles together. But all of Grandma's puzzles, and of course this is probably due to the Great Depression, Everything is blamed on the Great Depression. But all of her puzzles were in bags. We'd call them like Ziploc bags. You didn't have a picture to work from. So I would, I would try to put these puzzles together, you know, but frankly, it discouraged me. I didn't have anything to look at as I took all the pieces and started trying to fit them together. Think about that. Try to do that. Would you like to do that? I didn't like it, and I quit. I quit. I'd give up. Some of us try to do that in our Christian walk. We take our eyes off the Lord. We take our eyes off the picture. We have all these pieces we're trying to put together, and we become discouraged, and so we quit. We give up. We take our eyes off the picture. Joseph kept his eyes, I believe, on those dreams. And I want to prove it to us, and we'll see some of the things that he does because of his relationship with the Lord. Because he does God timing through these 13 years of difficulty. And as I had mentioned in San Francisco, I did God timing because it's in difficulties that God becomes more real to us if we don't turn away from Him. If we turn toward Him, if we humble ourselves, He becomes very real to us in our difficulties. In fact, you know, in, in modern days, I don't think we do it in our church tradition. We're part of the free church movement. If you look back over the last 2,000 years of church history, we're in the free church movement, and we don't, we don't follow a church calendar, and we don't say, okay, we're going to observe Lent as we approach Easter, and we're going to fast in some way. But why do we fast at all? Or why would I encourage you to fast? Fasting is a way of creating, so to speak, an artificial hardship so that our focus and awareness of God's presence might be purified or made real to us. You see, difficulties make God real to us if we 
submit our lives to Him. And that's, if you don't like the word submit, that's fine, but you're going to have trouble with faith because God's not going to be God in your life if you don't see Him as bigger than you. And if He's bigger than you, and He's your Savior, and He's the one you go to for help, then you need to submit. You need to let Him be God. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7, this is what Peter says. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. Now, the word humility is fantastic because it's a compound word. The first word is a, is a word that in Greek just means low. So, John, get low. Okay, I'm going to get low. See, I go down. That's low. That's high. This is low. And that's what the word means, low. The first word in the word translated humility means Get low. The other word in this compound word is the word mind. Mind. Frain is the word. So, how, it doesn't mean lower your... We can't really capture the sense we translate it humility, but it means have, have a lower estimation of yourself in comparison to God. Humble yourself. And then he says, clothe yourself in this humility. I'm so cold. I'm in such need. Put on humility before one another. And he says, most important, before God. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. The low, that's what the word is. It's repeated again. And why do we get low? He says, humble yourselves, get low before the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up at the proper time by casting your cares your anxieties, your worries, your troubles upon Him. He's big enough. And He cares for you. Wow, that, those are three of the most beautiful verses. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 of 1 Peter 5. Here are clues that Joseph had that very attitude in verse 4, it says, he served others. The word served in verse 4 is the same word that was used of Joseph when he served Potiphar. Now, Joseph, who's over all of them, is going to get low and serve the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh, despite being above them. In verse 6 and 7, it says, he cared about others. He saw they were sad. Do you know that when you feel like you're being victimized, remember he said, I've been kidnapped, I've been framed, I don't deserve this, and yet he's serving them. He notices things about their difficulties. He serves and cares about them. Where does he find that? People who are angry and bitter are absorbed with it and they have nothing left over. And they certainly 
are more consumed with their own need than they are with yours. This is remarkable. But it is a testimony to somebody who is in the middle of God timing. In other words, spending time with the Lord, finding his resources in God, even in the midst of bad timing. And I have found that as a pastor. I know that many of you, if we had a testimonial, that would be your story. Just as we sang before I came up and started talking about Joseph, we sang that song. That song should come from our own experience of the Lord in our midst, in our difficulties. That we are not just passive, but active making a difference so we who are in need are not in need and are helping others who are in need. And then he says in verse 8, please tell them to me, tell me your dream. After professing that interpretations belong to God. He wouldn't have said that. In fact, in chapter 41, 16, the next chapter, when he gets a chance to to, to impress Pharaoh. He gets this one shot, and he immediately says, in reply to Pharaoh's query, he says, it's not me, but God will speak concerning you, Pharaoh. That comes immediately to mind, not if he's self-absorbed, not if he's taken with himself, not if he's thinking about only himself, These are all true indicators of a very vibrant, real uh, relationship with the Lord. His humility comes through even when he asks in verse 14 and chapter 40, he asks the cupbearer, he says, listen, remember me, when you get out of here in three days, bring me up to Pharaoh. Now why would he say that and not ask the baker? Because the baker is going to be dead in three days. But notice that. We believe that. Joseph has to believe it too. In three days, if these dreams don't happen the way Joseph interpreted it, he's going to be in a whole heap of trouble with officers of Pharaoh. No, his humility really comes through. His faith in the Lord really comes through. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. But that brings out the right timing. He's betrayed a third time. But you know, God's timing is impeccable. If Joseph had gotten his wish, if the cupbearer had told Pharaoh of Joseph in three days after interpreting that dream, Joseph would have gotten out, but what would have happened to Joseph? I contend he would have been in a worse way. He had no place to go. Remember, Joseph is a slave. Joseph cannot return to his father. Do you think his brothers are going to let Joseph show up and spring the... I mean, the jig would be up on them... He has no place to go. He's a slave. He might be able to pick up some itinerant shepherding. You see, it won't be for another two years until Pharaoh has his dreams. 
Sometimes we need to hold on and trust God for His perfect timing. Sometimes what we think are hard times are the best of times because the times could have been worse if we'd had our own way. But by trusting God, He's preserved us for better things to come. So trust God. Dare to be faithful a day at a time. Uncertainty shouldn't discourage us because God knows what we don't. God sees what we can't. It's a matter of right timing. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close us in a prayer It's a short prayer, and I'd like you to pray it. So I'll pray it as though I was praying to myself. And if you can, in good conscience, pray it, I wish you to pray it with me as I pray it. Let's pray. Lord, keep me steady where you see fit until your divinely appointed time comes to pass for me. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.